Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 33. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. May God bless the reading and the hearing of the word today. Well, it is uh, a prominent theme in this story today, the theme of waiting And so, as we begin, I'll open it up without inviting your response just yet. I wonder what it is you're waiting for today. And, maybe more pressingly, what is yet to be fulfilled in your life? We hear a story like this, and we hear the great joy and relief of someone who, in many ways, resembles the stories of Jesus, of of people who hunted high and low for that one perfect thing, and when they find that pearl of great price, they find that that one gift in the market. They sell everything to have it. What is it you're waiting for, yearning for, longing for, that is yet to be fulfilled? The way I see it, there are two types of waiting, by and large. And the first type of waiting is pretty much killing time. We do a lot of that. Uh, You're expecting something to come around and you just have to kind of wait it out until that thing you expect comes around. You don't really exert yourself, but you wait on others to do maybe what you expect or even what they told you they would do. You wait for the circumstances to call your name. You wait for uh, the nurse to come out and call your name in the lobby. It's time for you to go back and talk to your provider. It's waiting for the Amazon truck to deliver the order that you placed maybe last night. It's waiting for the weekend. It's waiting for a promotion. It's waiting for warmer weather. It's waiting for retirement. It's waiting for circumstances or for people in your life to change. You don't have a lot of control over much of those things that you wait for, and you give all the power, all the agency, all the decision-making, all the authority away. You're just going to wait it out till the universe decides to come around to what you expect or want or need. But there's a different kind of waiting too, and it's a very different sort of waiting that 
negotiates or establishes a different relationship to all of those external forces and all of those others that you don't necessarily control. And very often, I I look back at those who use their bodies in some sort of very controlled way. Think about the swimmer who's on, uh, what do they call it? It's not a launch pad, but a swimmer who's there at, at the front end of a race, right? And she doesn't have control of when the starter pistol is fired. She doesn't have control about when anyone else is going to plunge into the water. But she can tune every last one of her senses to the moment. And to become clearly focused and centered on exactly where she is. And all that she has been to this point, every last hour of training, every early morning, every bit of diet and intake that she took to prepare for this moment, to strengthen her body, to strengthen her mind, all of it comes to that fine, fine point right there on the platform. Waiting. It's like a coiled spring. All of that energy, potential, it's it's right there. And when the starter pistol fires, whenever it fires, she's ready. Or the dancer who has to wait before the music begins. Or the orchestra who waits for Mackenzie to drop her hands. She can wait a little longer, a little shorter, but we're all watching and waiting. And again, it's not simply killing time until somebody else decides to do what we're waiting for them to do. But instead, it's drawing forth everything we have prepared for. Everything we have done to this point comes to clear focus in that moment. That's a different kind of waiting all together, isn't it? It's an active waiting. It's a formative waiting. It's a hopeful waiting. It's an expectant waiting. What are you waiting for? And how are you waiting for it at all? You know, we hear this story today of, Simi- of uh, Simeon, and a little later, a woman named Anna. And in chapter 2 of Luke's gospel, we hear how the parents of Jesus, in obedience to God's command, a command that was given to every Israelite family to dedicate the firstborn and to bring an offering to the temple. Mary and Joseph take young Jesus to present him and to follow the custom and the law of Moses. And once they're there, they're greeted by a man named Simeon, who the Bible says is righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And Simeon recognizes Jesus as this family walks in. And he goes over to this family and takes the baby in his arms. And he praises God for fulfilling God's promises through this little baby. Now, as a parent who once had young children in church, I read this story in a very different way now. Imagine some old guy suddenly runs up to you in church, grabs your baby, and starts singing. 
We look at it through our modern sensibilities. And parents of newborns, of course, are awfully conservative, particularly with their firstborns. They're very protective of space, and they have every right to be, and they have every reason to be. Particularly, all of our post-COVID COVID sensibilities are now on high alert. All of this, of course, makes sense. I was one of those parents, and it took me a long time for to really feel ready, and Janelle, a long time, to feel ready to hand our child over to others, even the loving care of others in the church. That's why I love having the playground back here. When parents are ready, they can release that child to the loving hands of those who are eager and ready to embrace them. It also makes me remember all of the ways I discover children are, by their very nature and by their very presence, a blessing to the church, a unique blessing to the church. I'll just tell three quick stories out of my own experience from my own children without naming names. I received a call one day from the daughter of one of my church members who said, Mama is, is very depressed, and they've tried kind of mixing up with her medication and and doing all these things to help support her, but she's still very low. Would you please uh, prioritize seeing her this week? Of course, thank you. I always appreciate when people help sort of tune my week in some way so I know where the accents might fall, and I was happy to do it. And as it so happened, uh, daycare was not available that day. And so I also had one of my very young sons, still a lap baby, in my control and in my sphere of responsibility. So when I went to see Mama, I had this little baby with me. And as I walked in, I spoke a few words of greeting. She spoke a few words back, and then she just held out her arms. And I placed that baby in her arms, and she sat and rocked him for about a half hour, stroking his hair, speaking kind words. She didn't talk to me. She was all in for this baby. After about a half hour, she held the baby out and she said, I'll see you soon. Another one of our children the one born in November, was born on a Wednesday, November the 16th. By then, uh, we had grown a little more accustomed to bringing our children to church, and, and so his very first Sunday was the Sunday after he was born, four days later. And people, I had secured a guest preacher that day, so I was just kind of had the view from the pew, like the rest of you. And, and I had this baby, and I don't think anyone heard our distinguished guest the whole time because there was this little baby just sort of slumped over my shoulder. And they hoped maybe they could catch a glimpse, that, that special glimpse of vulnerability and love and trust and openness that can only come in the face of a child. There was another time one of the members of my church uh, was able to bring her husband. He had been, uh, he'd been struggling for a long time. In many ways, his condition degrading because of Alzheimer's disease. So their attendance had gone from steady, regular, to less and less. He was able to get out of bed. She was able to help him get dressed. She was able to help him get to church, and he was willing. 
And when he came, uh, he stood in the back, and Janelle uh, brought one of our babies over to him. And so would you like to hold the baby? And of course, his strength and all those things were largely gone. And I'll never forget the image of Janelle's arms underneath his arms while he held that baby. And what I remember most was the smile that was on his face from ear to ear. If you were to ask him a little later in that day what he did or what the child's name was or what my name was, I doubt he could call it to mind. But deeply inscribed was that moment of relational connection. You know, when Jesus later would talk about children, he talked about them in ways that we often fall short of in church. Sometimes we look at the presence or absence of children simply as a barometer of our success or failure in ministry. Or we look at the presence of children as an immediate call to unleash or unload the burden that we feel to pass on every last value and virtue all at once. And it's too much to swallow. But when Jesus talked about children, as important as those other elements may be in our conversation, he talked about them in a different way. To welcome children, he said, was a very tangible way of welcoming him. That the presence of children were a vital and indispensable key to understanding the nature of God and understanding God's kingdom. That to welcome children and to celebrate them however they come. That, for a church, is welcoming a preacher, a prophet, and someone who has a special word to disclose about God even before they speak. And so here we have Simeon. And alongside Simeon, a prophet named Anna. As Luke says, the daughter of Penuel from the tribe of Asher, she was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying, coming up to them, that is, the family and Simeon, coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God, and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. And so in Simeon and Anna, we see a lot of commonality. They both spent a lifetime, in many ways, hanging around the temple. They were waiting for something, and both saw that longing fulfilled finally and fully in Jesus. Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He speaks in many ways on behalf of those Jews who were looking for political deliverance. For 700 years before Simeon, Israel had been subject to oppression of foreign powers. The Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and in Jesus' time, the Romans. And in many ways, under Roman rule, the oppression had only grown more severe, and more complete. Even though the Jews were technically self-ruled, their kingdom had not had any latitude beyond what Rome would allow, and it in no way reflected the great glory of what they remembered for King David and 
King Solomon. They were waiting for deliverance. They were waiting for justice. They were waiting for the restoration of the glory that had been promised to them. And Simeon, in many ways, I think, represents that posture of waiting for a long, long time. Anna. Anna was a widow. 84 years. She had been married for seven. And I wonder what it's like to be a teen girl who dreams of a life that's going to turn out a certain way, being married only seven years and then having your husband die. And then living all of those decades alone afterward. Widows, of course, in Jesus' time were particularly hard-pressed anyway. They usually had very little means and they couldn't provide for themselves. And Anna, I think, alongside Simeon, represents that kind of waiting that we have in the face of living a life that turns out very differently than the one you expect or even the one that you had hoped for. She's not yearning maybe first for political deliverance. She yearns for personal deliverance, the relief and the comfort that comes from life happening and happening in ways that we couldn't predict or expect. And so they anticipate and they keep vigil day after day, prayerfully, worshipfully, looking for the Messiah. And Simeon and Anna bear testimony to us that Jesus comes to those who wait. And when we talk about the Christian life, I think very often as we've moved on into modernity and now into post-modernity where technology brings everything to us so quickly, we see the Christian life as one that entitles us to instant fulfillment of everything we hope for and everything we desire, where we pray and God gives us an answer to our request, or even more, that maybe God could be convinced. If we do this, then God will surely respond in this way. I do A, God does B, and that is not always true. Maybe today you are waiting for something, and you've been waiting for a long time. And it's starting to get dark in the interior of your life. You may be confused. You may feel abandoned as you wait. And as the season of longing for something extends, the injustice around you continues. Maybe you felt the sting of it. Maybe like Anna, you have waited earnestly for some personal need to be fulfilled and life just hasn't turned out the way you expected or even wanted. Maybe you're grieving the loss of someone or something that's very important to you. Maybe you're mourning a broken relationship and you've tried everything you know to try. You've gotten advice and you've prayed and you've believed and you've worked hard and still things aren't yet better. And we wait so much for all the external conditions of our lives to come around. And that kind of waiting, of course, is not unimportant. It's not to be ignored. But when we talk about waiting today in church, I want us to be brave enough to look inside. At those places within you that you are waiting to shift or to change or to transform waiting for things like wholeness or healing 
forgiveness or reconciliation, for something to come alive again, for a sense of fulfillment, for a sense of purpose, for a sense of completion. So when I ask what you were waiting on, I'm asking you to take that inward look and examine your life. What really matters? What really makes a difference for you? What, if it would change in your life, would transform the way you relate, not only to yourself, but to others and to God? What in your life, if it were changed, if it were fulfilled, if it were satisfied, would let you walk away from this life without regret, without second-guessing yourself, satisfied, confident, content that you have faithfully and fully lived your life. Anna and Simeon paint the picture of those who wait decades and decades to see their lives fulfilled. And it's not about the longevity of it. It's more ultimately, as we share it today in church, about the meaning and the value of what it is they were waiting on altogether. Some things are worth waiting for. And some things simply are not. And so you're going to need to take that time of examination and ask, of course, what is it that you are waiting for today that is worth the wait? That it's worth waiting to all these years, perhaps, that you might hold it or have it or receive it. And if it's not worth that, why are you still waiting? And what is worth it, if that's not it? I don't, I, I don't know how to answer that for you. But it's pressed me a little bit this week as I've asked myself. I realize as I look over the great sweep of my life that some of the things I waited for and hoped for were things that simply weren't worth the wait. Even when I received them, which sometimes did happen, I got what I wanted, but I wasn't set free. I wasn't released. I wasn't fulfilled. And of course, we might say, well, you wasted that time. But on the other hand, I suppose, every pass I make at asking those sorts of searching questions in the presence of God and in the company of faithful people like you, I get a little clearer and clearer about what really matters and what fulfillment might really look like in this life. And if we read through the scriptures, we find in the Old and New Testaments that waiting becomes an essential, maybe even appointed feature of our lives of faith. As Christians, I encourage you to wait. Waiting, it seems, is going to be with us until the very end. For most people, as I said, waiting might just be a means to an end. You bide your time, you kill that time until the waiting's over, and then the waiter will finally come out with your meal and you'll be able to eat. Or you'll get that promotion that you're entitled to or whatever. But for us, as people of faith, Waiting is not simply a temporary time 
that passes. It's sort of a state of being for us because our identity in so many ways is built around waiting. We're the people who are called to believe in things that we cannot see. Those things that have not yet become readily apparent. We're waiting for things to happen and to come that have not yet completely come to pass. To be a Christian in many ways is to be one who waits. Whether we like it or not, we are those who wait. How often did Jesus counsel his disciples and remind us that our lives, therefore, are to be built around being alert? Because you don't know the day or the hour. Waiting is part of who we are. And waiting is not simply a passive or idle experience. When we wait, we wait actively. Think of the swimmer on the platform. Think of the dancer just before the music starts. Think about the orchestra before Mackenzie's hands drop. We wait actively, as opposed to idly. So often, when we have time between those things that we have to do, we'll check Instagram or you know, play a quick game on your phone or do something like that. We occupy ourselves until we get to the real business of the day. But when we wait as Christians, it's not simply trying to fill time that's not already busy. Christian waiting is often filled with meaning and purpose and action in the presence of God. It's dedicated to things like prayer. It's dedicated to things like service and worship, rest and Sabbath. And all of these things drawn together, prepare us, strengthen us, tune us to the activity of God that we might be waiting for. And God waits so often for us. We need to learn to wait with God. How did Peter counsel fellow believers? Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord one day, is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord does not delay in his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. That the Lord, who seems to wait perpetually on us to get the memo and respond, To be finally and fully God's is teaching us to live that way in this life, in relationship to God and in relationship with one another. But it's not idle time. It is active, even when we don't perceive the movement we hope for, yearn for, and expect. And also wants to remember that waiting as people of faith, as Christians, is a very formative thing. Waiting is not a waste of time. We try to eliminate all the waiting that we can so we can move from action to action to action. We don't see value in those spaces in between, but we, in waiting, come to realize just how formative the experience of waiting is in the presence and in the hands of God. God is playing the long game, as it were, with us. God is forming and shaping us inside and out 
ultimately into the image of Jesus. Waiting is one of the tools that that formation takes place by. And as we wait, God is building into us and is forming in us things like patience or integrity, perseverance, courage, all the things that mark the life of the one and only Son. They will mark us too. Those that he calls to follow him in service in the world. When the Apostle Paul reminded the church in Philippi, one of his favorite churches, the incompleteness, not only of his ministry, but the incompleteness of their identity as a church. And they were one of his favorite churches. It wasn't a criticism. It was instead a reality check to bring encouragement. That all you see in your life and all you see in your church is not all that is yet to be. That the one who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And that's important for us to hang on to. Especially in the times of waiting. To grow in the sort of trust that allows us to do just that. So whether you have a specific need today, whether that's what's in the forefront of your mind or at the top of your heart, maybe today you're just yearning for release or yearning for heaven. We hear the story of Simeon and we remember the faithful witness of Anna and they show us that waiting doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. God sees you. God has not forgotten you. And I'll invite you now to pray with me. And as you do, hold that thought, that hope, that need, that yearning, that expectation, that thing for which you wait. Hold it forth before God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, strengthens the powerless. Even youths will faint and grow weary, and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. May it be so, Lord. May it be so as we wait. Abide with us in Jesus' name. Amen.